0: Hey, hey friends, this is Jessie Deshane, a chronic illness support coach and host over here on the Chronically Healing Podcast. When I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I was scared and immediately started looking for support. After finding so much negativity in the autoimmune world, I decided to start a community that emphasizes positivity and healing. On this show, you will hear me have conversations with people just like you who are on their own unique healing journey with chronic illness. There might be a few tears, but you are guaranteed to have a bunch of laughs and lots and lots of love and support. Let's dive into the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I have Jen Maleka of The Holistic Health Boss. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Of course. Okay, so I want to dive right in. I've heard a little bit about your story when we were talking about having you on the podcast, so why don't you just tell us all about you, who you are, what you do, and then we can dive into your health journey.
1: Sure. Um, so I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, uh, which is a mouthful <laughs> for some Like it's just a bunch of words, it doesn't mean anything. So let me explain that a little bit. um, First, Uh, basically, that means I'm somewhere in between a health coach and a naturopathic doctor. So I've been trained in functional lab testing. Um, I use functional lab testing in my practice with my clients. But I also incorporate a lot of the health coaching aspects of you know, helping people to make behavior changes, lifestyle changes, um, changes to their diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, and supplementation. So my, um, the difference is, like, I don't diagnose or treat anything. Specifically, I don't prescribe medications. And oftentimes, a diagnosis or prescription medication doesn't really help many people in, in terms of getting to the bottom of what's going on and helping them to resolve the issue. Um, But also, you know, I have like a little bit of a different kind of approach, because I do incorporate that health coaching component versus if you go to a naturopathic doctor, although I love them to pieces, because they've been instrumental in my own journey, as well as my clients, oftentimes, you go and see them, and then you don't see them for three months. And so a lot of people need more support and accountability and guidance in between those appointments that they're having. So I have this unique ability to kind of do both things. And um, that's not always what I've done. So I've just been doing this work for the last gosh, uh, seven years at this point in time. So I've always kind of been naturally just interested in the health and wellness space. Like I was an active kid growing up and I went to college and pursued a degree in fitness, nutrition and health. So I kind of started in the industry as a personal trainer and it's kind of an important piece of my story because this is where i really started to notice um, that something just wasn't right with myself and my health and also started to notice in my clients like something was missing so once i got out of college and became a personal trainer first of all i started struggling with health issues in college i started to have severe allergies like seasonal allergies that were just so debilitating that they would Take me out for days or weeks at a time. Um, I would get reoccurring ear infections, and I was an otherwise very healthy person. I was one of the healthiest "quote unquote" people that I knew at the time. Being a good girl, eating my broccoli and chicken—you mm-hmm. know, boneless, skinless, lean meats and proteins—and I was also struggling with some pretty like severe fatigue in the afternoon and evening times. Like I would go to Starbucks and get a double americano, of course, loaded with all kinds of dairy and milk, <laughs> and um, Splenda, some toxic sweeteners. And even after having a double Americano, I would still be struggling to keep my eyes open in the afternoons and evenings when I was training my clients. And so that's where I, you know, started to know something wasn't right with me. And like I said, like my clients were also, you know, doing what everything that I was recommending to them, they were counting their calories and they were working out, but they weren't losing weight as expected to be with somebody who's following a plan. And so I just started to question, you know, this conventional uh, wisdom that I had been taught through college. And everything kind of, le- kind of came to a head when I was diagnosed with skin cancer uh, mm. around the age of 26 at the time. And there was no skin cancer that ran in my family um, or related cancers at all. So it really caused me to look at, like, why did this happen to me if I don't have, you know, a predisposed type of risk factor essentially and i started doing research and i came across the training program that i went through functional diagnostic nutrition and it really just shed light on the physiology of the body how the body actually works and through that program is where i learned the lab testing and as part of the training you had to run some of the lab testing on yourself and so i did an adrenal um, and hormone saliva test i also did a urine test to look at liver function and protein digestion as well as like a stool sample test to look at what was going on in my gut. And so the initial kind of health issues that I found at the time where I had adrenal dysfunction, I had H. pylori overgrowth, which is a bacteria in the gut, and um, a just dysfunctional immune system. But two big, huge clues for me also was my liver was congested and uh, I had really high oxidative stress, which are two big components when it comes to cancer. So I kind of received answers about why I probably developed cancer at such a young age, again, without those risk family history risk factors. And I wasn't like a chronic tanner or anything like that. And so I worked on cleaning up my liver and and reducing oxidative stress and balancing hormones and cleaning up my gut. And lo and behold, my allergies went away completely. Migraines were gone. My low back pain dissipated. Uh, The cancers went away. And and this year, actually, I'm going to be 10 years skin cancer free, which is kind of exciting to say. Mm -hmm. And so I was going along great. And then life kind of happens, you know. Mm -hmm. So in 2016, I started um, accumulating some hormone issues at the time. And I was having like severe breast tenderness and sporadic breakthrough periods. um, To one point, like I had a 12 day period. And I was like, something is not right here. I had cystic acne, and I'd never had acne in my entire life. And um, went and opened my guest room closet and looked up on the ceiling and we had black mold all over the ceiling. And I had been working from home and my desk that I sat at was literally within a foot of that closet. Of course. course. So, you know, then figured out I had estrogen dominance going on. Um, obviously, like mold toxicity, because we have no idea how long the mold was there for and how long I've been sitting there. And then that also triggered thyroid issues and um, Hashimoto's for me as well. So I was very fortunate that I caught the Hashimoto's pretty early, like my antibodies were around like 28 and 45. Okay. Um, But I did go on WP thyroid like medication for about six months just to support my body and the ways that it needed why I did the cleanup work so that it could get back to normal. Because I think you said, you know, you've talked about some limes and mold toxicity stuff on the show before. And um, that can really just overwhelm the immune system, the detoxification system, and it can take a while to get to purge some of that stuff out of your body. So you know, I did some medication for a while, um, but I'm happy to say that my Hashimoto's is was in remission within six months and I still maintain a remission type of state and all the hormone issues are gone, luckily. And I'm fortunate to have had that experience because everything that I've learned through that experience has helped me with the clients that have come to me that have experienced the same type of things and just being able to relate to them and I've been there on that journey, you know, when you feel uncomfortable in your body, and you lose faith in your ability to heal. And um, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But ultimately, like you just keep working at it. And I'm, you know, grateful to say that I'm like living proof that there is another side of it, Mm. you know, that it, it is possible to restore health. And I help clients do it every day, you know?
0: Yeah. That's going to be so rewarding to be able to do that. Like when you've gone through so many of these, these chronic issues and these really scary things to be able to help someone else with their journey. Mm-hmm.
1: It is. I mean, I, I can't imagine doing anything else for the rest of my life. Um, I'm just completely passionate about my work. Every time I get off the phone with a client, it's um, just like it lights me up all the time. Like it's amazing to be able, you know, I've just been working with a woman who's 60. She's been suffering with MS mm-hmm. for her entire life almost. And she's tried every trial drug therapy treatment out there. And I just remember when we had our initial consultation back in I think it was like September, maybe even August of last year. Um, her daughter had to be on the phone during the consultation with us because her brain fog was so bad. Like she couldn't keep track of the conversation very well or like details to the point now where she just turned 60 and she has like almost zero MS symptoms like her neuropathy her brain fog is like completely gone she's back at like um, at her career as a real estate agent like one of the top sellers again she's like chasing her grandson around and mm-hmm. and spending time with her family and so when I get to help people like re um, recoup their life in a way you know gain back control and like live life in the, in the brightest, fullest color possible. I mean, that's like the greatest gift that you can have to be able to do that. Right.
0: Yeah. So do you normally work with people that already have a diagnosis or like, or what, how does that work?
1: Um, it's usually a little bit of both because Mm -hmm. what's interesting is like some people will come to me and they'll just say like, I'm struggling, losing weight. I feel like I have brain fog. Uh, My digestion isn't right. I'm bloated all the time. I've allergies, acne, like just this accumulation of symptoms that they've acquired over a period of time, where it's they finally have kind of reached a breaking point of like something's not right. And normally the story is is that they've gone to um, you know their doctor or other you know health professionals and they're not really getting answers or right solutions. So they wind up with me or finding me. And through that process, sometimes we come across um, what would be diagnosable for them. So Mm. if I, you know, sometimes I run a thyroid test or like I love running the DUTCH test, which is a urine test to look at um, the hormones. Mm. And so DUTCH stands for Dried Urine Total Comprehensive Hormone Test. And it is definitely the most comprehensive hormone test out there. It doesn't test for thyroid directly because you have to test thyroid using blood. But Mm -hmm. based upon what's going on with metabolized cortisol and 24-hour free cortisol on that test, we can get indicators for a thyroid imbalance. So if I see something like that going on, I'll either recommend that the client go get um, a thyroid panel run through their physician so they can get it covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. And I'll give them some guidance on what markers to ask for because most practitioners would run an incomplete um, thyroid panel through the conventional medical system. So I kind of help them advocate for themselves and then also educate them about what functional or optimal ranges are for thyroid so that they don't get misled based on the conventional ranges that is yeah. accurate for us and help them get some answers that way. Uh, or the other thing is that I do get a lot of people that come to me with a diagnosis already and they've probably been taking medication and they just feel like they want some natural solutions to manage their thyroid. Oftentimes they're on thyroid medication and and they don't feel that much better as Mm -hmm. a result because there's other stuff that's going on Uh, or they would like to come off a thyroid medication or be able to reduce their thyroid medication. So they're like, how do I kind of naturally start to heal or support my body so that that's a possibility for me?
0: Yeah. So when you, um, you started, you started going to school for this certification right after your skin cancer, um, right? That right after you were told about that. So what do you like, was there anything else that you kind of did in the beginning of your journey before you got into school? I'm just thinking about someone that is like, Maybe not necessarily skin cancer, but even anything. They're they were just diagnosed with hypothyroid or anything like that. Like, how would you? Um, what would you tell people to that they could start? How they could get started in trying to figure out how to feel better? Uh, yeah. What, what would you think?
1: So what's interesting is like before I started the training in functional diagnostic nutrition, I thought that I was healthy. Like mm-hmm. I I, think I mentioned, I was like eating you know, broccoli and like my vegetables and like lean proteins, um, which most people would say is healthy. But you know, one of the concepts that I kind of teach people is that there's a difference between eating healthy and eating right for your body. You know, eating right for your body will incorporate healthy foods, but not every healthy food is right for your body. And so um, looking back now, like, and when I was going through the training, some of the very first things that I started to do was like one is that I started to focus on eating like 100% organic as much as possible. Whenever it was within my control, which primarily means like the foods that are in your home, because you're purchasing those, it's a little bit more challenging to control them when you're going out to eat. Cause then you just start to eliminate a bunch of toxins that have um, a negative impact on your hormones. So mm-hmm. a lot of the pesticides and herbicides that are used, are classified as like endocrine disrupting or xenoestrogen um, type of toxins that will disrupt the hormonal balance of the body. Mm -hmm. Uh, On top of the fact that they're inflammatory and just they overload our liver and all these other kinds of things that they do. So that's always like a primary gen, like, you know, recommendation for every single person I think that's out there. And then the other um, probably secondary or pretty high at the list of being a primary recommendation is moving towards an anti-inflammatory diet. Mm -hmm. And so I think the foundations of an anti-inflammatory diet are uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, probably as much as possible. Some people can handle certain types of dairy better than others. Uh, But if you're dealing definitely with thyroid issues and you may or may not have an underlying Hashimoto's, diagnosis awaiting you dairy can definitely be a problematic food because it mimics gluten in a lot of ways in the body and gluten is a trigger for thyroid antibodies for the body to attack itself or attack its thyroid Um, sugar is a big inflammatory food as well so avoiding that and then definitely soy um, because soy is you know genetically modified a lot of times most times it has gluten in it And so, uh, and it also is a xenoestrogen. And if you're have too much estrogen in your body, elevated levels of estrogen can trigger trigger thyroid issues also. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those are some really big ones. And then, you know, from downstream from that, I would say like all grains in general, like even corn, um, rice, quinoa can be problematic depending on the person, especially mostly because those are another group of foods that are going to strongly mimic gluten in the body, and cause that inflammation or trigger the body to attack like the thyroid gland, specifically if they're dealing with thyroid
0: issues. Oh, wow. I didn't know that yeah. about quinoa. That has been like a staple for me recently. I thought I was being oh. grain free. <laughs> like, you know, well,
1: you know, what's fascinating about they say with quinoa now, like this has been coming out in research is that because of all of the cross-pollination and cross-feeding with quinoa, that that is the one of the grains that most similarly looks like gluten um, mm-hmm. right now as well. So cut the
0: quinoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad, but probably makes sense why I've been yeah. Really blame. Um, yeah, I think for me personally, at least food was the scariest thing to start doing but it was also and is continues to be the most detrimental or like the biggest changes I've seen has been um from food I went I've been gluten-free almost two years now at least intentionally gluten-free I'm sure that I've or I know that I've been glutened like when I've gone out to eat a few times but um but I've been pretty specific with that, and then um dairy soy those have always been ones again, unless I'm out that I have that I've tried to be really strict with, but it's really scary in the beginning, especially um for someone like me, I grew up in northern Wisconsin, like I grew up eating like hamburger helper and like canned food and like frozen pizza, so um so having to cut all of that out was really scary, even like telling my family when I was going up for holidays that I couldn't eat pretty much everything that they made. Um, It was really scary. So I think, um, and I don't know if you have any tips, but like for me, knowing that I didn't have to do it all at one time was really helpful, and I, so I started with gluten, I noticed really quickly how much better it made me feel, and then I felt empowered to keep going, so um, then I cut out dairy, I cut out all these things, and I mean, like I said, I've been gluten-free for two years, and I've just recently started cutting out grains, so it's been, like, I've had to, like, elongate that process, because it's been the scariest process for me, but, but yeah, it can be overwhelming.
1: I think that uh, it is for a lot of people. And I remember it because all these fears come up. If we look at how our society is structured, you know, there's so much that's uh, organized around food. Like our social life is around food. Our family life is around food. And it does make you question your identity because you start to like, you may not even recognize that this is the conversation that you're having in your brain, but it's like, well, if I'm not gonna, if I don't get to eat what everybody else eats, then how am I gonna fit in? Right. And that's like, I don't want to, and then you go, I don't want to be that person at the table that's having to like ask for, you know, gluten free or ask for dairy free. But what's so fascinating about this as well is that our thyroid is related to the throat chakra, Mm
0: -hmm. which
1: is our center of communication. And when we're not communicating our needs, guess what we're doing? We're blocking the energy flow of our throat chakra. So actually, like kind of stepping into your power and like, owning your worth and improving your confidence and your self esteem when it comes to like asking and ordering in a way that's right for you actually helps to strengthen the thyroid chakra or the throat chakra, which is really cool because it's related to our thyroid, right? right, Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I talk with clients about this, sometimes it's around putting perspective on it. So this actually came up with a client of mine recently, she travels a ton for work, and she travels a lot primarily to South um, America. And she, you know, we're, we're working on this moving towards a gluten free, dairy free kind of lifestyle. And she had a trip to South America, I think it was Chile. Mm -hmm. And there was a big kind of gala event. She's like, well, I did I did okay, except for this event, like, she's like, I just didn't want to bother them by, you know, asking to order gluten free. And I was like, Okay, well, explain that to me a little bit. Like, what is the fear associated? She just didn't want to be a hassle. Like, she didn't want to be embarrassed by it. And so I kind of changed the perspective on her. And I was like, if your life depended on being gluten free, would you have ordered that way? And Mm -hmm. she's like, well, yeah, but that's different, because it's life threatening. And I was like, well, who says that your situation currently, right now, isn't? Yeah. Yep. Because if you don't take care of the current situation with your thyroid or with whatever's going on in your body, that is the future of what you're looking at. It's just going to continue to get worse. So you're going to limp along to the point where it could be become life-threatening, mm-hmm. right? And why yeah. does it have to be life-threatening in order for? I asked her, I posed her this question. I'm like, why does it have to be life threatening in order for you to stand up for yourself and to ask for what it is that you need? Mm. You know, which is like, so a lot of it gets related to self worth, just feeling yeah. worthy enough to make yourself a priority and say, like, I don't give two, you know, shits yeah. about like, <laughs> um, what other people are going to think of me, because at the end of the day, this is what my body needs. And when I stand up for myself in this way, I'm going to feel good and I'm going to be my best self. And when I'm my best self, I positively impact all the people that are around me. Mm-hmm. So when I'm feeling good because I'm ordering gluten-free or dairy-free or all the things free, yeah. like, it's ultimately going to have a positive impact on those around me. And they may not understand it in the beginning. And um, so I also just kind of coach my clients around, you know, sometimes we have to leave people where they are so that we can move forward. And that doesn't mean leaving them behind. Mm -hmm. They just leaving them where they are. Like they don't, they're not in your shoes. They don't understand your struggle and how you're suffering. And they're not educating themselves about some of like in the ways that you are about some of the dietary changes that you need to make. So you're kind of on this, like not only health, but also like a spiritual journey in a sense of like moving forward. And they might be okay just staying where they are. Mm -hmm. And then also sometimes what happens is that, you know, when our family members or our friends kind of question the changes that we're making, it is either because it's a reflection of their own fears, like they wish that they were taking care of themselves in the same way that you are, Or secondly, it's because they're afraid that they're going to lose you if you're eating differently. So this will happen with spouses or partners. A lot of times, like when we get some resistance from a partner, it's because that's one of the ways that you guys bond is over food. So your partner becomes fearful that they're going to lose a connection with you or a bond if you're now all of a sudden eating differently. So like when I started a modified AIP diet, and I you know, committed to like not drinking alcohol for an extended period of time. And my husband and I are big wine lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we belong to multiple wine clubs. And um, one of our favorite things to do when we go out traveling is to like go wine tasting. So when I did, made this decision for myself, because I knew that I wanted to heal my body, I sat down with him and I had a conversation and this was hard for me. But I was like, I know that I have to be a good, I have to communicate while I'm doing this so that we can work together through it. And so I said, Hey, like, here's some decisions that I need to make for myself right now, because I, I want to feel my best so that I can be a better wife to you. I can be a better partner, like I'd be more present. And I was like, so I know that this is going to impact our, um, how we normally spend time together. I just want you to know that me choosing not to drink or not to eat these things is not, um, means, doesn't mean that you don't have to, you can still do those things and um, I'm just making the choice not to. It's not a reflection on you or anybody else. And then I also said, you know, because we may not be participating in some of our usual activities, I want to make sure that we find other ways to spend time together. Mm-hmm. And we and we did, you know. So I think that those are some things that are really helpful for people when I I shed that the light on like, you know, how it is impacting their relationships, and then give them some tools for you know, how do I continue to create connection and feel like I belong, even though I'm making some of these changes for myself because I know that I need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think, um, sometimes that can be the hardest part is like the people closest to you. Um, even I noticed at work, I had a very close team and whenever I was doing like a more strict diet or something, um, I noticed that instead of being confident in how and the things I needed to change, I would almost joke about it. Like I would almost make fun of myself like, oh, yeah, I know I can't eat anything. But then when they would say something similar, um, it would kind of hurt my feelings. And I was like, well, I'm the one that's putting this out there, though. So if I would be coming at it from a serious place instead of a place of like belittling myself and my decisions, even if it was for me, I, like, use humor when I'm uncomfortable sometimes to, like, make things um, less uncomfortable for me, and um, it totally backfired in my face for that reason, <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's hard, and I think it's just um, remembering that there's other ways that you can connect with people, like you said, that don't necessarily yeah. need to be surrounding food, um, but, yeah, so what are yeah. some different ways that you keep yourself feeling good every day, like different things that you do that, that really make you thrive.
1: Mm-hmm. So I love this question because we we everybody focuses so much on diet mm-hmm. and um, I think that something that we need to turn our attention to more in our society in general is sleep. So I talk about like, we need to learn to value sleep more than we value diet and exercise in a lot of ways, because if you're not getting good quality sleep during the right periods of time of night, Mm -hmm. then all of your diet and exercise efforts kind of go to waste in a sense. And I specify, you know, during the right time of night, because there's a difference between, you know, you hear a lot of differencing opinions about sleep out there, like, oh, you need seven hours of sleep or only, or eight hours of sleep or six and a half hours of sleep. And, and yes, time is important. And then there's also the different stages of sleep, like your deep sleep, your REM sleep, your light sleep, which are also important too. But what nobody's really talking about is the time period in which you're sleeping, like the time frame itself. Mm. This is super important because it relates to our circadian rhythm. And what's really cool for your listeners, like if you guys go Google like a Chinese medicine um, clock, you'll find some images on the internet where this is really talked about a lot in Chinese medicine. And it'll show you like, throughout the different hours of the day, there's certain times of the day that your body is doing certain functions. So like, on the Chinese medicine time clock, like um, around 6pm is when your blood pressure is the highest. So if you've been Told that your blood pressure is high, and every time you're going to the doctor, it's after work. Well, yeah, it's going to be high because that's the time of the day that it's the highest. So you should try checking it in the morning time to see if it's like lower. And then also between like 2 and like 3 a.m. or around those time periods is like when the liver does its massive detoxification process and it's dumping bile and doing all the important things that it needs to do. And this is all determined based upon the sun and the moon cycles. So in a natural kind of environment, the way our body is supposed to work is that when the sun rises in the morning, so light increases and temperature increases, your body senses that and it releases cortisol, which most people know is their stress hormone, but cortisol is actually the hormone that gives us energy to get up in the morning. It helps to regulate um, blood sugar. It's also our natural anti-inflammatory and it has this rhythm throughout the day. So when the sun rises, your body releases cortisol, cortisol is supposed to be at its highest point about two hours after you wake up. And then it slowly tapers off throughout the rest of the day. And as the sun um, sets, and temperature decreases your body senses that and so it tells cortisol to come down to its lowest point so that you have low cortisol so you can sleep and then that's when you release melatonin which signals the body to get ready for sleep right there's a bunch of other hormones that are doing things throughout that time period too but that's just an example of what that circadian that's the circadian rhythm that we're talking about here and then also relating that back to Your body is on this clock according to the sun and the moon cycle. This happens every single day. And so as a result of that, this relates back to the Chinese medicine clock of when the body is doing certain functions based upon the sun and the moon cycle. And so the most critical time for you to be sleeping is between 10 p.m., And at least 2 a.m. and ideally probably into like, you know, 4, 5 or 6 a.m., right? So if you're going to get a solid eight hours of sleep, it would be 10 p.m. to 6 Mm a.m. And if you talk to most people, most people are going to bed much later than 10 Mm p.m., right? And so what happens is when we stay awake into these hours of 10 p.m. into 12, 1, 2 in the morning, Um, We're not in a restful period where the body can do its functions. Mm -hmm. And so we, the body will not do them. It misses out on these functions. And no matter how much you sleep in the next day, you will never make up for that missed functioning time, essentially. So that's where like, you know, Jesse, have you ever had the experience of, you know, going to bed late at night, like 12 or 2am and you sleep eight hours, but you still feel groggy the next day, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs)
0: We used to do this all the time in college, right? Yeah, and And I just drink so much caffeine. (laughs) Right,
1: (laughs) so you feel groggy even though you got eight hours of sleep because you missed that critical time period. This is a game changer when I work with clients. Like when we start shifting their sleep schedule to the point where they're getting to sleep around that 10 p.m. time, they instantly feel a boost in energy. They instantly feel better, like clears up their think. They have more clear thinking. They feel more focused and productive at work because it's starting to balance that circadian rhythm. Um, you're getting in the critical sleep time so that your body can do those functions in the middle of the night, which is setting you up for success for whatever it is that you're trying to do with your diet and your exercise or anything else you know, in your lifestyle. So that is huge for me. I'm really protective over my sleep. Um, It takes like, it's got to be a really good party for (laughs) me to stay up at night. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Uh, and, and, and you'll notice like when you get into this uh, cycle of sleeping that is more natural for you, you will naturally like, even though I travel a ton, and no matter what, when I cross a time zone, my body is now so in tune with the sun cycle that is, it, even if I'm in a different time zone, the second that the sun starts to go down, I start to get those sleepy feelings like I'm ready for bed. I don't struggle with you know, jet lag or anything like that because I'm able to adjust to the sun cycle of whatever time zone that I'm in, which is hugely helpful.
0: Yeah. You know? That's crazy. I didn't know. I mean, I knew... I just know from myself that I try to go to bed by like 10.30 at the latest, and I get up around 6.30 every day, but honestly, I know it's only a half hour off, but when I was very strict with the 10 to 6 schedule, I actually felt much better, so um, that's interesting sure. that you say that. but. Um, What about, so for instance, for me, I am an extremely light sleeper. It's something I've dealt with kind of my whole life. So recently I started taking magnesium, which has helped a lot for me. Um, But what are some things that people could do that maybe are light sleepers or kind of struggle with, with staying asleep? Because I think that's just as important as going to bed early
1: hmm So let's talk first about like just a proper wind down, like preparing yourself for bed. You know, if you're jumping into bed, but your brain's super busy because you were just like getting off the computer and doing emails or working up until the point of bedtime, like that's not going to set you up for really great sleep, right? So you want to take it, a look at your environment and then who you're being before bed. So some ideal environment scenarios are like, um, kind of optimal temperature for you to be slipping, sleeping is in around is around 68 degrees. Mm. So remember when I was saying that, you know, as the the temperature lowers and the sun sets, that signals the body that it's time Mm. for sleep. So if you're running the heat at nighttime, or you're running, you know, it's just hot outside and you're, you don't have the ability, you know, you're not turning on the air conditioner. Um, those could be things that could be disrupting your sleep. It's like too hot for you to sleep, Mm. you know? So cooling down your environment is hugely helpful. Um, Also, light exposure is going to be a big one. So we live in a world now where we have artificial sunlight in our our homes all the time because we can turn on the light switch, right? Our ancestors and even the indigenous people in a modern world don't have that. They live by candlelight um, or fire. And so being cognizant of that like if you have dimmers in your home where you can dim the lights do that as much as possible um like maybe an hour or two before bedtime or just be conscious of how many lights you have on you don't need a light on in every single room right and your um, light exposure from maybe your screens like your tv or your tablets or your phones like on your phones and your tablets you can do like a night shift setting so it'll turn the screen on um, that rose color which reduces the blue light that's coming off of it. Uh, or, and you can buy like blue blocker sunglasses to wear if you're going to be watching TV at nighttime, depending on how sensitive you might be to light. And then also looking at your room. So you're in the city, right? We we're just talking mm-hmm. about this. You're in Chicago. And like, there's a ton of streetlights in the city. So if your bedroom faces a streetlight and that streetlight is shining into your room, guess what? Your body's going to think the sun's still up. So things like blackout cart- curtains can be hugely helpful. Um, you also want to look at, are there other ambient lights in your room, like an alarm clock or, you know, that little blue light that emits off of a cable box. Mm. Um, those things can be just as disruptive too. And we absorb light through our skin, not just our eyes. So a lot of people will say like, oh, well, I wear an eye mask at night. And I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. great, but <laughs> we can still absorb light through our skin. So let's just make sure that we cover all those lights. Like I, one of my signature tricks is that I travel with electrical tape in my backpack Ah. so that if I'm in a hotel room and the thermostat is glowing and the smoke detector is glowing (laughs) and the cable box is glowing, I just get out a little piece of electrical tape and I put it over the light so that it covers it. Or if there's like a crease in the curtains, I can like kind of just like snap them together with some electrical tape, you know? Yeah. Like a super dark environment to sleep in. And like a hotel room, sometimes there's like light that comes in from underneath the door. So I'll stack pillows under the door crevice so that it's nice and like dark in there. So lights it a really big one in temperature. And then like I said, the other part is who are you being before you go to bed? So Mm -hmm. creating like a a routine that's really going to um, wind you down, prepare you for sleep. So if we look at the model of Um, our ancestors, or even modern day indigenous people, they get done working, they all cook dinner together, then they sit around a campfire, and they sing, and they connect with their partners, and they all kind of relax, and then they go to sleep, right, Mm -hmm. they're not working on their computers, or Facebooking, (laughs) or doing things, they're not doing things that are stimulating, you know, So we want to do things that are not sense stimulating. So things like reading a book, or you know, having great conversation with your partner. You could sit and watch TV as long as it's probably not a stressful show that's going to get you stimulated. You mm-hmm. know, so something that's um like nice and weepy, like everybody talks about. You know, us. This what is that <laughs> show or whatever? Like yeah. not like something that's scary or going to get like you worked up. Of <laughs> no right? <Game> of <laughs> <laughs> right. Um you know, diffusing essential oils that have a calming effect on the nervous system, you know, things like lavender, for example, or um, anytime we heat up the body and allow it to naturally cool, that helps the body to prepare for sleep. So like taking a hot shower or a hot bath, Mm -hmm. you can incorporate Epsom salts, which Epsom salt helps to reduce um, cortisol levels, which is kind of that impact that you're getting with magnesium mm. um, supplements, you know, taking a mineral supplement in general. So something that has a um, magnesium in it or like a broad spectrum um, mineral supplement also helps to support sleep. So I always have my clients take a mag- uh, mineral supplement before bed. Um, those are helpful things. Meditation, you know, to help quiet your mind. And there's all different types of meditation or journaling, like just get it out of your head, dump the trash, you know, the um, junk that you've got going on in your brain for the day, and like let it out. So those are some really key things to be doing. You know, I say like an hour before bed. You know, I have my clients set an alarm. So if their goal is to be to bed by 10. Mm-hmm. They set an alarm on their phone at nine to remind them to start their wind down routine. Mm. So
0: they
1: go, go take a shower, then they like read a book, then they do a little bit of meditation, and they're like in bed by nine forty-five, and they're usually falling asleep within forty-five minutes or within fifteen minutes. Excuse yeah. me.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that um, the wind down routine is so key. Even for me, I've noticed. um, not necessarily stressful shows, but things – so I I claim that it's a talent. I don't know if it's a talent, but I'm one of those people that can, like, watch a show and within, like, two minutes tell you what's going to happen. My husband loves it. <laughs> so, like so – You're intuitive. Yeah, that's what I say. So um, we will watch, like, funny shows. Like, for example – I don't know. Have you heard of this show, Psych? Um no. So it's like, it's basically about like a quote unquote psychic detective. Um, And it's funny. It's like a funny show, but because it's like a case that they're working through my mind the whole time is trying to figure it out. So we've actually even noticed with that, that for me, I'm struggling. If we watch that right before bed, I'm struggling to go to, to go to sleep because my mind, even though I'm not stressed, I'm not thinking about it anymore. My mind is still in that movement. and then that's interesting what you say about the light. That's actually been a big reason that we have, not the biggest, but one of the big reasons we decided to move out of the city. So um, we just like with noise and light in general. So we live right across the street from a Target, which is amazing, but Target doesn't turn their lights off, all of them at least. So in um, and- we have just not found, we didn't buy blackout curtains, which was our biggest mistake, but it's just like, there's a constant glow, even though the oh. room is pretty dark, there's a constant glow from it. Um, so, so yeah, that's something that we're looking forward to, but, but I love those tips. Those are, I think those are really important. And I think um, sleep in general is just, I mean, it just impacts so many things. Like if I don't sleep enough, I, I'm much more likely to skip my workout. I'm much more Mm -hmm. likely to eat some of those more snacky foods. I'm much more likely to grab a second coffee, um, which are all things that I know in the end won't make me feel better. But like in that groggy state seem like a good idea.
1: Yeah, in the moment. And that's, that's natural for that to happen. Because you're, you're more snacky because your body is searching for immediate energy. So it's going to want carbohydrates, like Mm -hmm. instant energy, or it's going to want caffeine, you know, for, for those reasons. And something else just to think about is that a thyroid issue is oftentimes a symptom of something dif- other, something else that's going on a bigger problem. And so when we are, we have just, dis- when we have dysfunctional sleep patterns, it can cause HPA axis dysfunction. And if you have a adrenals that are underworked or overworked that can have a negative impact on your thyroid issue. So, or on your thyroid, so your thyroid issue could just be a result of something else. If you work on balancing your circadian rhythm and your adrenals, it's going to positively, you know, impact your thyroid also. Yeah. Um, One other tip I was just thinking about too, that I wanted to mention when I travel, when I check into a hotel, I will ask them, can I please have the darkest, quietest room? to make sure that I don't get placed in a room that's facing like a parking lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) or a park that's going to have that glowing aspect to it. And usually it's above, like away from any kind of lights. And -hmm. it's usually kind of like in a corner on the backside of the hotel so that there's, it's like not facing out onto the street. So that's something that you can certainly be asking for when you're traveling too. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's one of those, like the worst they could say as no type questions like just to ask and maybe you'll be a little bit more comfortable and it's not going to hurt anything honestly yeah exactly
1: now you mentioned also saying Desi that you're like you know what about people who um, wake up in the middle of the night so oh. I wanted to touch on that too is that first of all like you want to be checking like what time in the middle of the night are you waking up and if you're you're waking up between two and three. Um, that's an indication of a couple of different things possibly. So between two and three, it can be a sign of um, a drop in your blood sugar. So when your blood sugar drops too low, then the body will release cortisol to bring it back up. And remember cortisol is what gives you energy. And so all of a sudden you get this spike of energy in the middle of the night. And most people will say, oh, well, I wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, yes, because... (laughs) When you get woken up, what is naturally the first thing that you do? Everybody goes pee, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Something else that's triggering you to wake up. It's not the fact that you have to go to the bathroom. And so a drop in blood sugar can be one. So some quick or some fixes for that oftentimes is like one, taking a look at what you're eating before bed Um, maybe boosting your fat and protein intake before bed and dropping your carbohydrates a little bit either at dinner time or you can have a snack before bed that's higher in fat and protein. So like I'll have clients do like a little sweet treat at night, make some avocado pudding. So just avocados, full fat coconut milk and some cacao powder and maybe a little bit of stevia if you want it um, a little sweet because that's going to be like 100% fat basically, mm-hmm. and that will help to balance your blood sugar. And that usually does the trick oftentimes when people are waking up in that time frame, The other thing is when you're waking up within that time frame. if uh, resolving, you know, working on food and increasing fat and protein isn't fixing it, it can be an indication that the liver is um, clogged. So mm-hmm. maybe you need a liver uh, supplement or you need to do some extra detoxification support. Uh, I just got done doing a great uh, Facebook Live video today with Dr. Marisol, the queen of thrones, talking about castor Mm -hmm. oil packs. Mm -hmm. So you can do a castor oil pack before bed, or you can wear it during the nighttime that helps to boost detoxification and liver function. It also promotes um, boosts oxytocin levels, which is your calming, you know, hormone as well as dopamine. And it puts you in a parasympathetic like resting state. Um, Castor oil helps to do that. And reduces inflammation and improves digestion and all these kinds of things as well. Um, so that would be something else that you can do to boost detoxification. And then if you you're working on both those things and it's still not resolving, according to like again like Chinese medicine, is that, that can be related to grief?
0: So maybe you're grieving
1: something that you're not releasing. And we oftentimes think of grief as like the loss of a loved one, but grief is the loss of anything. So it could be like even if you've consciously made the choice to maybe lose or to um, leave your job Mm -hmm. of 20 years to move on and pursue something bigger and better, there's still a grieving process that happens when we make those changes because we are leaving relationships or leaving a workplace that we've known for a really long time. Even though we're moving on to something better, there can still be a grieving state that we go through with that too. So that's where like meditation can be really helpful doing meditation that uh, releases grief specifically can be helpful too. So those are kind of like the three main things that I'll have people work on or try if they're having those challenges about like waking up in the middle of the night and definitely when it's centered around that 2 to 3 a.m. time period.
0: Yeah. I love that. You've given us so many great nuggets. Yeah. (laughs) So for your business, um, holistic boss, right. Am I saying that holistic health boss? Um, so do you, what type of clients do you normally work with? Like how could people work with you if they were interested or connect with you in general?
1: Definitely. Well, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm super active in both of those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, at holistic health boss, basically, and holistic is with a W just like whole foods. Mm -hmm. Um, so like the whole body. Right. Yep. And uh, also my website, holistichealthboss.com. I work with clients all over the world. So I have clients in Australia, the UK, Canada, Singapore. Um, That's the great part about my work is I work virtually with people over video conferencing, just, you know, kind of like we're talking today and shipping test kits to them around the world. The most of the testing that I do is urine, saliva and stool or hair sample based. So it's easy to do that testing uh, globally. Mm -hmm. And they do the testing in the comfort of their own home. Um, People that I work with is, you know, anybody who just feels like they don't feel comfortable in their body in some kind of way. So typically, people will come to me, they're kind of like busy, health minded um, professionals. And they know that something is missing. They've been trying different diets and exercise routines. A lot of them have tried paleo or keto or an AIP diet or whole 30 diet or making changes and they're just not getting the results that they want and they, they just can't figure out pinpoint like why. And so that's where I'll say like, you know, if a diet or an exercise routine isn't working for you, it could be because it's not right for you, but it could also just be because there's something bigger going on underneath the hood that we need to investigate like the hormone imbalances or digestive issues or detoxification issues. And when we resolve those things, then that makes your diet and exercise efforts more efficient and you can get better results that way. So I really just help people get their hands on the right lab tests and resources so that they can find the missing pieces to their health puzzle, actually fix what is wrong and get back to feeling like themselves again or maybe for the very first time, you know, they may have never felt like themselves. But oftentimes, people will say, like, I, there was a point in their life that they felt like themselves. And for some reason, right now, they don't, they don't feel comfortable in their body. They can't think clearly, or they're not as productive or smart or quick, like, you know, witted as they used to be, like, just something is amiss, And again, they're like, not really getting answers or solutions in the you know, conventional medical world, because they just need some more personalized assistance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, um, the times that I've worked with coaches or with naturopathic doctors, um, it's just been nice to have someone that I know is in my corner and um, really takes the time to get to know me, to get to know how I'm feeling. And I think a lot of people with chronic illness, autoimmune disease, anything like that, um, they have a tendency to get a lot of misdiagnosis or a lot of ignoring or you're, you're a hypochondriac, you're all of these types of things. So I think um, one of the biggest things that can be really helpful in your healing is just having someone that believes you and that is yeah. to help you like move forward. So I think that it's like, huge that when I've made the biggest steps in my healing journey has been when I'm working with someone.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's super important. Like I always say, you know, some of the most important things that I look in for in my health team members, and I say health team members, because you're going to have a health team, you know, you're going to have a doctor or a naturopath, a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, maybe a health coach, a personal trainer, like there, there is a role, you might have multiple people playing roles in your health journey, but you know, some core, um, characteristics that they should all have is like, they should want to, they should be collaborators. So Mm -hmm. they're going to collaborate with you. Like I say, tell my clients, like, this is a collaborative process. Like Mm -hmm. I'm here to educate you, but I also want you to bring information to me. Um, they also should be compassionate, which means that they're going to listen to you and take what you say seriously. I can't tell you in my own journey, I've been to multiple doctors that have dismissed my symptoms or told me that, you know, well, let's just keep an eye on it. I don't know what to do about that. And that's not good enough. Then go do the research and help me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And those are super important and have an openness and willingness to work with other people that are on your team. Mm -hmm. I welcome my clients to connect me with their personal trainers or their chiropractors or their doctors so that we can work together. And I kind of will raise my hand and say, like, I'll be the team leader we're doing all this testing. So let me share this information with your personal trainer and kind of give them some guidance on how to structure your workouts so that they build you up instead of break you down based on yeah. what's happening in your body, you know? So if they're not, your practitioners are not willing to work with other people on your team because they think that they can do it all. That's just not true. None of us can do it all. We don't know everything. You can't facilitate every single process. So there should be that willingness to work with other people too, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that's, that's so important. That's so key. Um, Is there anything else that, that you, that we might've missed or anything else you want to tell the listeners here today?
1: Um, I just think to know that, that the possibilities are endless. Like I like to tell my clients is that you only know what you know until you know something different. Mm. So right now it might feel like you're, you know, situation is hopeless, but that's because that's the only thing that you've experienced at this point in time. And know that there are people out there like me and like you Mm -hmm. who are making changes in our life and we are feeling better. And I like to say that I'm in the business of making the impossible possible, Mm -hmm. like bringing hope and shedding light on what is possible for you. So whether it's somebody, whether it's me or it's somebody else, it doesn't matter, but find that person for you That's going to be a guiding light. And just know that there, whatever you dream of, whatever you want, it is 100% possible. You just need the right tools and the right guidance to um, have it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a, that's a great place to end on, (laughs) but I will have all of your links in the show notes. Below for people to go through, and then also in the blog, it'll be everywhere. so if people want to connect with you or work with you, um, they'll be able to do that easily as well.
1: Well, but. thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it, and it's been okay. a joy to talk with you.
0: Yeah, of course, I feel like this was I have like I have seven post-it notes over here with notes for me personally, so it, it's been a wonderful episode. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you.